You're listening to KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Cruising is back in San Jose. A 1986 ban on the car-centric pastime was repealed in June, and while many are celebrating the end of what they consider racist policy, some in law enforcement in San Jose are concerned that the activity encourages loitering, drug use, and violence. After regional news and weather, Coco Montoya is here in conversation with Felton Pruitt. They'll talk about the old times, about his newest album, Coming In Hot, and about his upcoming tour. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a package of bills aimed at reducing gun violence. And as KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer explains, he's not done yet. The eight bills Newsom signed Thursday are less sweeping than the one he signed two weeks ago, allowing civil lawsuits against gun makers for negligence. One targets the sale of gun parts made from 3D printers. Another prevents those convicted of child abuse or elder abuse from having a gun for 10 years. A third requires schools to report student threats or perceived threats of violence. Still left to sign is Senate Bill 1327, modeled after a Texas anti-abortion law. It would allow private citizens to sue anyone who makes, sells, or imports into California weapons banned here, including assault weapons and ghost guns. That and others Newsom already signed are sure to be challenged in court. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Operations at the Port of Oakland are still at a standstill due to an ongoing trucker protest over California's gig worker law, known as AB5. The law reclassifies many gig workers and independent contractors as employees. This week's protests follow a U.S. Supreme Court decision that rejected an industry bid to exclude truckers who often own their own vehicles. Matt Trapp is CEO of the Harbor Trucking Association, a nonprofit representing motor carriers on the West Coast, which does not directly represent the protesting truckers. The truckers are demanding either a repeal of AB5 or clarification as to how it will be enforced. Governor Newsom says truckers should work to implement the transition to AB5. If you're of a certain age, you might remember the 1973 George Lucas film American Graffiti, which celebrated California car cruising culture. But in a lot of cities, cruising has been illegal for years. Now, Mexican-American lowrider cruising enthusiasts are working to roll back such bans. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has this story from San Jose, which recently scrapped its decades-old cruising ban. On a warm Friday night, just south of downtown San Jose, it's easy to tell which house belongs to Anthony Perez. Working on a 64 Impala. His friend's Azur Aqua Chevy Impala is spilling out of the driveway into the sidewalk, and oldies are echoing from a turntable. Perez works in government welfare during the day, but his passions are rare vinyl and his 1962 two-door hardtop Impala. White with red interior. And tonight, we're headed to Santa Clara Street in downtown San Jose. As you can see, I mean, you're in here, you get behind this big old wheel, and you go slow. Weather's perfect. Like, what else, you know, doesn't get much better than that for me. The Impala is a boat of a car, and people give delighted double takes as we pass. 
crazy. It's like a carnival ride. We barely break 25 miles an hour, and it kind of feels like we're in our own parade. Everybody's your friend when you're driving this. <laughs> For the most part, when people talk about cruising, they describe laid-back Sunday afternoons and low-key family-friendly outings. This is why lowriders like Perez say the cruising ban wasn't about keeping roadways safer. There's existing laws for not blocking traffic or driving recklessly, so what else could it be besides them trying to marginalize a community or making laws against something that they don't understand? Until the ban was unanimously overturned in June, it had been in place since 1986. Dulce Fernandez is part of a lowrider group that worked to overturn the ban. She says it was an oppressive force. You instinctively grow up looking over your shoulder because you are you are identifying yourself within the culture. You're identifying yourself as being Latin. Its origins are in the barrio experience of the southwestern region of the United States. John Uyoa is a professor of history and anthropology at San Francisco State University. So if you're targeting lowriding, by default, you're targeting Mexicans. Uyoa actually teaches a class on the history of lowriding as part of his school's Latina Latino Studies program. If we talk about lowriding and its origins, then very quickly we can talk about the criminalization of an aesthetic, systemic racism, stereotyping, stripping people of their civil liberties for expressing themselves under the First Amendment of the Constitution. Still, some law enforcement in San Jose aren't happy with the repeal. The police department wouldn't make Chief Anthony Mata available for an interview, but right before the city council voted to repeal, he told them about his concerns with lowrider gatherings during celebrations like Cinco de Mayo. Fortunately, uh, there's uh, individuals in cars that take over a, uh, a, shop, a shopping center, right, and, um, and do loiter, they do drink, uh, drugs are there, and there's violence. Uh, and it does impact our community, it impacts our, our business. Elsewhere in California, Sacramento's cruising ban has also come down recently, and organizers in San Diego County's national city are working towards their own repeal. There's also a move in the state legislature to protect cruising statewide. For Americans, cars have always represented freedom and self-expression. Lowriders are part of this history. Oh, there he is. What's up? <laughs> Back on Santa Clara Street, Anthony Perez says lowriding is so much more than just a hobby. So my mom met my dad cruising, so I guess it's in my blood. It's part of his origin story. My mom was out cruising with her friends, and my dad was out cruising with his friends, and they stopped at Jack in the Box, and they met, and the rest was history. So Perez says he was born to be behind the wheel. For The California Report and Mary Franklin Harvin in San Jose. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare. Alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org Hint. Fruit-infused water and over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from DrinkHint.com And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation 
working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is this edition of the California Report for Friday, July 22nd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day and weekend. According to Caltrans, major roadway improvements to State Route 20 continue in Nevada County, with travel delays and one-way traffic control at multiple locations anticipated throughout the summer. Motorists should expect 20-minute travel delays between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. on weekdays at multiple locations along the 14-mile stretch of Highway 20 between Conservation Road and Lowell Hill. Crews are installing or rehabilitating drainage, performing earthwork to widen sections of the roadway, and preparing for major dirt fill work to begin. The work is part of the $62.5 million Omega Curves project which aims to improve safety and reduce collisions on State Route 20 by realigning curves on two non-contiguous segments near White Cloud and Lowell Hill, widening shoulders, improving the highway's sight distance, and adding designated left turn lanes near Conservation Road and Washington Road. Additionally, three turnouts will be added where slow-moving vehicles can allow motorists to safely pass, while also serving as traffic enforcement locations for the California Highway Patrol. The project is expected to be completed in fall 2023, though the schedule is subject to change due to weather, equipment availability, or other unexpected events. You can learn more about the project by visiting omegacurves20.com. Looking now at regional weather and the air quality forecasts. For Grass Valley and Nevada City, above average temperatures will continue for the next week, creating a moderate risk for heat illness. Tonight, Grass Valley and Nevada City will be clear with a low around 62. Saturday will be sunny with a high near 93. Saturday night will be clear with a low around 65. And Sunday will also be sunny with a high near 95. Sunday night will cool to a low around 67. The AQI for Grass Valley and Nevada City will be good this weekend, with an average value of 35. Moving up to Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, warm but pleasant conditions are expected this weekend, though breezy afternoon winds will persist, producing an elevated fire weather risk across the region. Tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 48. Saturday will be sunny with a high near 83. Saturday night will be clear with a low around 52. And on Sunday, the Lake Tahoe and Truckee area is expected to be sunny with a high near 86 before cooling to a low of 54 on Sunday night. The air quality index for the higher elevations of the Sierra is expected to be good with an average value of 26. And for our friends in the valley, Sacramento and Woodland, The valley will also see above-average temperatures into the next week, creating a moderate risk for heat illness. Tonight will cool to a low around 58 degrees before heating up again on Saturday to a high near 97. Saturday night will be clear and cool with a low around 59. Sunday will be sunny and hot with a high near 100, and Sunday night will be mostly clear with a low around 61. The AQI for the Valley this weekend will be good, with an average value of 27. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
A chance meeting in the mid-1970s with bluesman Albert Collins began a musical career that's now spanned almost four decades. He's gone from drumming to holding the lead guitar spot in John Mayall's Blues Breakers before leading his own band and touring worldwide. Up next, Felton Pruitt sits down to talk with Coco Montoya. We're talking with Coco Montoya. He's got a new album out called Coming In Hot, and he's on tour, going to be coming to our area at the Auburn State Theater on Saturday, July 30th. Coco, it's great to talk with you again. Oh, so great to hear your voice, buddy. Thank you so much for having me. We were just mentioning that I think the last time we did an interview might have been almost 30 years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's going back quite a bit. Well, let's just roll through your history for a little bit, and then we'll move up to the new album and all the cool things going on right now. I remember you started out with a guy that I used to get to see a lot and actually did a few interviews with, Albert Collins. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great Albert Collins, yeah. Now, how in the world did you... And you ended up being his drummer. Yeah, I started out as a drummer. Were you hanging around a bar in Chicago or something? Or how'd you, or in Vegas or wherever Albert was? Well, Albert was living in L.A. at the time. He had come out here from Texas uh, through the uh, advice and help of Bob Height from Canned Heat. And uh, so I... I'd heard about him through a horn, a sax player that uh, played with him that was playing with the weekend top 40 band I was in. And uh, uh, through him, I met Albert socially one gig, went to see Buddy Miles, and we hung out and got along fine. And uh, I still didn't know anything about him. I didn't know who he was, wasn't uh, privy to the blues thing. But um, yeah, we, we just hung out a little bit. And the uh, next thing I know, uh, he's doing a matinee at the club in Culver City that I play at. I used to play at, anyway. And um, he asked me to sit in. They used my drums, that's what happened, and uh, I didn't have a problem with him using the drums. Anyway, everything worked out great. I sat in, he took my phone number, and uh, several months after that, we got a phone call, and he was desperate in need of a drummer. And uh, I went out on the road with him. Uh, No rehearsal, no nothing. Just went straight up to Eugene, Oregon, and did the first show. Is that where you transitioned then from drums to guitar while you were playing with Albert Collins? No, I had already been messing around with guitar as a second instrument. You know, uh, I, I was really in love with drums at the time. And, but uh, playing drums with Albert, obviously, I, you know, he influenced me a lot and, and made me even, I, he was making me transition more to guitar as well without me knowing it. Uh, later on, after about four years with Albert, I kind of got the, the hint that I was pretty limited as a drummer i uh, didn't have a lot of technical knowledge or anything like that i didn't really study or anything so but he was always influencing me you know we were always playing guitars in the, in the hotel rooms and stuff and uh yeah he influenced me a lot and it was through him playing with him and getting more you know more knowledge about blues and uh, that kind of music and roots music i got out of the business from albert i totally quit the music business at a day job, at a bartending job, and I would just go jam for fun, much like much like a bowler would just go bowl on the weekends, you know. That's where John Mayall happened to hear me, and uh, oddly enough, he, he called me up. He got my number and called me up and uh, offered me the job at the Blues Breakers. That's about the time that I ran across you, and we got to know each other. That's an amazing phone call to get one of the greats of all time, John Mayall, giving you a call and saying he wants you to play guitar for him. 
Uh, that was, yeah, that those two incidents of those two people in my life were incredible uh, strokes of luck. I mean, the, the chance to meet those guys. And uh, I don't think I'd be doing anything right now if it wasn't for Albert Collins and it wasn't for uh, John Mayall, for sure. Huge influence. We're talking with Coco Montoya, who's coming to the Auburn State Theater coming up on Saturday, July 30th. Now, you've got a, a new album out. Now, we'll call it a new album, Coming In Hot, but it's really a COVID new album in that it came out a while ago, and now it's out again. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty much it. You, you got it for described better than I could. Uh, the, the COVID thing happened, and uh, we didn't get a chance to go out and promote it as, as we wished. But we're still out working it, and um, as a matter of fact, it, uh, we're uh, in the beginning processes of uh, trying to record something new. Uh, we're just checking out music and writing right now, but uh, hopefully we'll have something new for the next year. I was looking at some of the stuff on the new album, the new COVID album, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, the and, new COVID album. Right, right. Coming in hot. Is that Alligator Records? Yes, it is. All right. Still working with Bruce, huh? Oh, yeah. Still still hanging there with Bruce. Yeah. He's the owner of Alligator, for those folks listening. Um, and I noticed you got Johnny Lee Shell on here, who's an old pal from Bonnie Raitt's bands. Exactly. Yeah, I actually uh, recorded it in his studio, uh, Johnny Lee and uh, the great Mike Finnegan's on it, uh, who recently passed away. I've had some wonderful players on there, Mike Minnell, Tony Braunagle, the producer. There's some great people on there. If people are coming to the Auburn State Theater next Saturday to see you play, what kind of blues are they going to get in their ears? Well, you know, I've always been, to me, I think a little bit of a hybrid you know, kind of happens at my age group and stuff. I have so many other influences besides blues. Blues is being the basis of everything for me. You can expect to hear a wide variety of, of grooves and things uh, to make you happy. And uh, I, I explore a lot of uh, different avenues. I have to tell you that there's one moment that still sticks out in my, my memory. And I, and I want you to confirm that this actually happened. Maybe I just dreamed it. But I remember seeing Little Feet in Santa Cruz 30-some years ago and having a wonderful time and it being the break and everything. And then I looked up on stage and the second set was about to happen and it looked like Lowell George had walked on stage because some guy was plugging in an amp and he had white overalls over and he was bent over backwards and it turned out to be you. Was it? I white think. overalls. I don't think I did that. but uh... I, I, Maybe it wasn't white. It, just, it looked like something that Lowell would wear is all I'm saying. And it kind of looked yeah. like... I've heard that before. A couple people have said that. Uh, I, I talked to Paul Barrera about it. He said, no way, you don't look anything like Lowell. And I said, well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I actually, at the beginning of Little Feet, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't aware of them until much later when they actually broke up. And I got connected with Richie Hayward, the drummer. And we became very, very good friends. And we'd play locally in Venice, California, Santa Monica together for tip jars. You know, yeah. uh, and they finally got themselves together and regrouped. And uh, yeah, what a fantastic band! What a, what an incredible amount of musicians. The musicians that have gone through that band are just a number one. You know, I'm just amazed by them all, and they're and they're just still doing it now. Yeah, Little Feet's still out on tour. Of course, we lost Paul a couple of years back. Um, I, I was right. actually with Paul a couple of months before he passed, but. Um... They were always the like the heart and soul of everything I love in music. So, to and and oh, yes. I, I feel a little of that that heart and soul in your music too. I mean, you just it, there's a passion there that's um, I don't know, undescribable. 
Well, the, the, the influence of those guys, I mean, uh, Paul produced my Dirty Deal album on Alligator, Paul Barrera, and then all the guys are playing on it, uh, Kenny and, uh, Fred, and, and Fred Tackett and Richie, of course. You know, he was my my partner in crime for a long time. I'm just a wonderful guy. Uh, all those guys are wonderful, and they're just I'm glad to see they're still out there doing it and uh, keeping it moving. Might we get a little feet tuned during your set this coming Saturday? Oh, I don't think you'll get one of those, but uh, you never know in the future. I've always wanted to look out, look at their catalog and see if there was something I could do in tribute to uh, a fantastic band and uh, some very dear friends. We've been talking with Coco Montoya. He's coming to the Auburn State Theater on Saturday, July 30th, 7.30 show. It's going to be a wonderful night of great blues. Coco, thanks for spending some time chatting with us. Well, I do appreciate you giving me a call, and it's, uh, let's not make it so long next time. No, we'll try and do these interviews more than once every 30 years. How's that? Yeah, I don't think I got another 30, <laughs> so you better shorten it up a little bit. <laughs> That's Coco Montoya. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. That's our newscast for Friday, July 22nd, 2022. Head on over to our website, kvmr.org, to listen to it again. And while you're there, consider supporting us with a financial contribution. It's fast, easy, and secure. All you have to do is click on the donate button at the top of the page. KVMR gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com And Sierra Stages, presenting Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Stephen Sondheim's musical thriller about revenge and meat pies. Now through August 6th at the Nevada Theater. Tickets at sierrastages.org Stick around. Coming up next, the California Report magazine takes us to San Bernardino to explore the history of the Time Bandit, a mini Spanish galleon that sails the waters of Big Bear Lake. Then at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! Tonight, Amy Goodman and her team cover the House Select Committee's investigation of the January 6th attack and how lawmakers are focused on the three-hour period after President Trump urged his supporters to march to the Capitol. As always, we thank you very much for listening and for your generous support. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great weekend and meet us right here at 6 p.m. on Monday for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. (laughs) 